Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule book, guys. Before we do, I've got a question for you. What is your top guilty pleasure song? Like the, the song that like you're a little embarrassed to talk about, but when it comes on, oh, it just hits you. Or, or if it's a song that you're listening to in your car and you turn it up when it comes on, but when you get to a red light, you don't want anyone else around <laughs> right. you to yeah. know that you're jamming out to that song. So you put up your windows. Mm-hmm. Is that, that's the kind that's of song yeah. I'm talking about. I, I might need a therapist to help me fully figure out if this is true. I think I might be a closet Swifty. Oh. <laughs> I think I have come to learn that I actually like Taylor Swift songs. I, I, you know, honestly, I know I like Taylor Swift yes, songs. I, I, I've admitted it. it um, yeah. There, have you ever seen the uh, SNL sketch? It's Swiftamine. It's I the drug not, for people though. who realize that the song that they're enjoying is a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I, if if you go look that up and it turns out there's some sort of like, you know, swear word or something in it, I apologize. But the, the concept is, is hilarious. Uh, for me, um, so I think similar to Taylor Swift, I, I do like Taylor Swift uh, and I can admit it. Uh, but Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. But the real one, the real one. I thought that was a Taylor Swift song for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The real the real is uh, uh, Ska from oh. the 90s, especially Christian yeah. Ska, because that's what I grew up listening to. So like Five Iron Frenzy, Supertones. Like this is objectively objectively terrible music, but I, <laughs> I, I love it. And it just makes me happy. So that's, think, that's it. <laughs> I don't think music can be objectively terrible. Well, if anything can, it is 90s Christian ska. So Okay. So this is interesting that you and I are like in the same genre. Not Christian though. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is secular. Like old school, no doubt. I guess just no doubt in general. Like when I was a kid growing up, I loved to listen uh, to them, but now I, I look back on it and I go, mm, I, I don't know what I found so appealing about it. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of noise. So for me, it's... But but is that still a guilty pleasure? Like meaning when you hear it now, yes, you're like, I, I'll, I'll I get like in, this. I'll get into it. I'll like it. Yeah. But I'm thinking to myself, like, why was I so... Why did I like it so much when I was a kid? You know what I mean? Like, what, what was I so attracted to about it? But when I get into it now, yeah. But yeah, I turn, I turn down no doubt when I... When, I, when I'm driving in the car. I am using the moment of being at an intersection driving as my clarifying scenario. If I'm listening, jamming out to a Taylor Swift song in my car, and I pull up to yeah. a red light, I am being honest and telling you, I am putting up my windows because so no I hears. feel like the people around me are judging me as a 48-year-old man <laughs> listening to Taylor right. Swift. So right. yeah. People are at least laughing at you. They might not be judging you. Because they also like that song, but they think it's funny that you also do. That's that's probably true. Okay, yeah. so I have a bit of a follow-up question. Okay. So it, it's, you're driving in your car, and this song starts. Are you hoping that it is Queen's <laughs> Under Pressure or Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby? Oh. Which one are you rooting for? Okay, look, I, I, I love Queen, but uh, so like Bowie and Freddie Mercury, that's what I truly want, but... If I want, if I'm in the car, not somewhere else. If I'm in the car, I want to sing along to Ice Ice Baby because that is so much fun, especially when you're driving. What are you hoping for, Nikki? Oh, um, under pressure. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, Do you have an opinion? Oh man, I grew up in the '80s and '90s. I'm a Vanilla Ice all the way. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I, I was a kid in the 90s. I grew up listening to Vanilla Ice, but I can't. I was never one who memorized all the words to that, to, to that song. I couldn't oh, do man. it. Oh, man. No. That, there, there are times when that just sort of starts, it just pops out. Right like now, a, in the background, we would start playing this song, except we're not allowed to for copyright reasons. So. Yeah. But, and, it, but, and it, also but it's shame. in my head right now. <laughs> hey, do you know who's not going to be at Christ Community Church during Holy Week? Who? Vanilla Ice or Taylor Swift or that's, Queen. Yes, that's very true. But there are a lot of good things going on. So this podcast, these podcasts always drop on Monday mornings. So Monday through Friday this week, Stations of the Cross is going on at our St. Charles campus all week uh, and also at our, De- our DeKalb campus on Friday. You do need to make reservations for your time slot to show up. It is an incredibly popular event. And so to avoid overcrowding that diminishes the experience, we are uh, having people reserve slots uh, for arrival times. Uh, So you want to make sure that you are aware of that. Check the website. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, all of the instructions are there with with an intro video and a lot of other helpful things to experience Stations of the Cross. And then Good Friday services are coming up and then Easter resurrection services on Saturday and Sunday. So here we go. Holy Week. All right, Clayton. Biggest, biggest week of the Christian year. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready for it. And Clayton, we're ready for this passage. What are we looking at today? All right. So we are actually going to do an entire book of the Bible today. This is very exciting. Uh, the book of Philemon, which is the shortest of Paul's letters. It's just 25 verses, so we're going to cover it. Um, is a really, really interesting Everybody letter. just went. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially Ferris, because he's got to read it. Um, so here's here's a question that often comes up for people when they're reading the New Testament, they will come across passages, and sometimes the Old Testament too, but they will come across passages in the New Testament where all of a sudden Paul or someone is writing to slaves and masters who own slaves, and there's complete cognitive dissonance. We hear it and we say, how in the world can there be slaves and slave owners in the Bible? And Paul is acting like this is normal. And instructing them how to live as a Christian in those roles. Because we say, shouldn't it just be a blanket, stop it, right? Like that should be what, what's coming. Um, and so we wrestle with that. Now, there are uh, ways of talking about that, and we'll get into some of that today. But one of the most interesting, interesting ways to explore that question is to look at the book of Philemon. Because the book of Philemon was written to a slave owner in a church that Paul had started after Paul came across his runaway slave. So what Paul is doing, there's a a slave named Onesimus who ran away from a guy named Philemon. Onesimus finds Paul where he's at. Paul leads him to Christ. And then Paul says, well, Onesimus, you you ran away from your master. So we've got to kind of figure out what to do with this relationship. So I'm actually going to write a letter to your master Philemon, and you're going to carry it and go back to him, and we're going to see what happens. And the letter is really really interesting with all of this. So I'm, uh, we'll, we'll talk about kind of how this all works out as we read it, uh, but that's the context for this. Uh, so Eric, if you want to go ahead and read uh, the book of Philemon, uh, verses 1 through 25. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to a church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Well, congratulations. If you have never read a whole book of the Bible, you have now. So uh, there we go. Uh, What are your observations? That's where we start with the common method. Observations. What do you see? Uh, For me, I see uh, it's very personal letter. Uh, very personal language. You've got our brother, our sister, our dear friend, our fellow worker. There's a lot of love talk, being talked about in here. Um, your partnership with us, like great joy, encouragement. Like there's all this 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 big personal language. Yeah, it's a very warm relationship yeah. that Paul has with mm-hmm. with Philemon. I am shocked at what I don't see. And that is any explanation of what the heck is going on mm. with this letter. So there is there is an assumed relationship and there is some kind of scenario that you just spelled out talking about the context. But if I was just reading this letter and I did not know what was transpiring, I would have no idea what Paul is talking about, which then gets to... Ooh. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Sometimes you need some context clues... From a good introduction in your study Bible, it will help you understand what you're reading. And this has been your comma tip of the week. Nice. That, that was pretty good. That was, that was pretty great. good. He, we, what we, you don't know is that he didn't prepare any comma tip ahead of this episode. That's right. But he pulled one out. So that was good. It worked, it worked really well. <laughs> Um, yeah, there are, there's, there's like a context issue. And I feel very exposed right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's okay. This is a safe place. We, so, can be, we can be honest. Sometimes I come less than prepared to these podcast recordings. <laughs> um, there, there is some kind of mirror reading, you know, where you're kind of reading between the lines and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I do think Onesimus is mentioned in some other parts in, in the New Testament, which is where we get some of the background, but the, the story itself, um, people piece together. What else do you see? Um, one of the things that I saw was um, I I like that Paul said, um, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, 
Uh, he preferred to appeal to him instead on the basis of love. And there's like that, there's the therefore before, like in right at the beginning of that passage, you only say, oh, what is it therefore? And it's like, he's basically saying like, because of your love for the Lord's people, I'm going to try to appeal to you on the basis of this loving person that you are um, to essentially love Onesimus as a brother in Christ rather than a former slave. Yeah, I think it's an interesting strategy that he is not being forceful about it because mm-hmm. that is exactly what we feel that should happen, that he should just say, this this, this is not okay, and I'm going to order you to do the right thing because this is such a you know a problem and injustice and so on. Um, but he is, he is working on uh, Philemon in a way that's meant to win him over, not just get yeah. done what he wants uh, done. Um, I do, although there is some pressure being put on here. Like I, I think even about the opening section, like we, the, the opening greetings, like I, I had Eric read that. It, sometimes it's just good to kind of hear how a letter goes, but there is something really important in verse two. He says, you know, I'm writing to you, Philemon, but also to these other people and to the church that meets in your home, which means this letter is not private. It's it's publicly going to be read in Philemon's home, the church that he hosts there. And so Philemon is going to have to respond to this knowing people are going to have kind of heard what Paul said, and they're going to be looking to Philemon and say, okay, so what are you going to do about that? Um, and Paul is not saying, so you have to, but if he doesn't... <laughs> Everybody's going to know, he, right? Something's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, verse 20 says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Like, he's leaning in <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. heavy. <laughs> not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> yeah, so like, there's the sarc- there's the boldness and sarcasm. I mean, I don't want to say you owe me one, <laughs> but you owe me one. <laughs> And the way you're going to pay it back is by treating Onesimus as a brother in Christ, not as a slave. Yeah, there's an awful lot of weight being exerted yeah. in this letter. And what I thought was interesting is that he he like he bases his appeal. He, he says like it's none other than Paul. Like I'm an old man, I'm a prisoner. Like kind of like you know me, and someone appealed to you on behalf of Onesimus on the basis of who I am. Almost like I'm asking you to do this. Um, so I think there's even like some, there's some, there's even some weight with saying like, well, I'm making this request of you. Like I'm Paul, you know who I am and I'm making this request of you. Yeah. And he, he even says, welcome him as you would welcome me. Yeah. Like he's saying, I, I, I'm not just asking you to do something because we have a good relationship. I'm saying you should actually treat him like he's me, you know, not not just do for him something for a favor for me, but like say, if Paul were here, how would I treat Paul? Mm -hmm. Treat Onesimus that way. Another thing that sticks out to me, verse 22, says, and one more thing. (laughs) Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In other words, I'm going to be there at some point to see if you actually do what I'm asking. It's just he's leaning in. And then leaning in, and then leaning in even further. Well, even to 21, he says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Yeah. It's like, he's like, I'm going to put the decision in your hands, but I know what decision you're going to (laughs) make. So here's the other thing that sticks out to me. If you think of the three three players here, so you have Paul, who's in the highest level of authority. Then you have Philemon, who's in the kind of the middle level of authority, who owns slaves, Okay. And then you have Onesimus, who's at the lowest level of authority. You have the person in the highest level of authority looking out for and trying to take care of the person who is at the lowest level of authority 
who potentially could be abused, mistreated, mm-hmm. or marginalized. So I, the, the three levels of authority in play here are very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that Paul does that not just through his authority, but he also says, if it's going to cost anybody anything, charge it to me. So there's him take, using his authority for the person who's weakest, but then him also saying, whatever resources it takes to get that done, I'll take the hit on that. Like, there's a very Jesus-y kind of thing going on here, right? That he's saying, um, treat him like he's me. That's what that's what Jesus says about us to God, right? Like, treat treat him, treat them like they're, they're me. Um, if it costs anything to, you know, restore them, charge it to me. And um, and and then uses his strength for us when we're weak. Like Paul is embodying the way of Jesus and how he's treating Onesimus. Did you do you see the quote from Martin Luther in the study notes? Oh, I don't I don't have my study Bible open. What oh. do you got? Well, so right along with what you were saying, <clears throat> quote from Martin Luther: Even as Christ did for us with God the Father, thus Paul also does for Onesimus with Philemon. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What I think I probably should back up and give a little cultural context. Um, when we think about slavery, um, we're, we're already talking about kind of how Paul is undermining it here. Um, but it's still important to know what we mean when we talk about slavery in the New Testament, because it's not the same as the slavery that we talk about in um, earlier in American history or even uh, slavery that goes on in the world today. Um, most slavery in the Greco-Roman period, like in, in the Roman Empire, um, was economic slavery. There was some slavery that was people who had been captured in war, uh, but a lot of it was someone who went into debt and they would say, and the only way to you know get my needs met is to sell myself to somebody and work for them. And it usually was not a lifelong thing. It was, it was for a period of time. They could earn their, their way out. Uh, it still was an exploiting kind of relationship. It's not something that w- was, it's not like, oh, it was okay, but it's a little different. It wasn't race-based. So this wasn't saying, well, if you're from a certain background, you get to be a slave and everybody else gets to rule over you. This could be people from all sorts of different uh, places. Uh, and slaves had varying degrees of um, kind of uh, authority and mobility in the world. So it wasn't quite as restrictive uh, as what we're talking about. It still was one person owning another person. So it's still unjust. Uh, but the kinds of abuses that you might be thinking of from uh, American you know, racial slavery uh, is it, not identical to this. So it's worth knowing that just so you're imagining the right kinds of things. Um, but still, Paul is trying to to end this practice, but he's doing it in kind of a unique way. What else do you see in here? The other thing that s- sticks out to me, and I don't know if there's anything to do with it, but the last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, that seems like a different ending than what Paul normally writes. I, don't, I can't remember if in any of his other letters he ended with uh, the great, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, Often in his yeah, yeah. in his the beginning of his letter or in at the end, but be with your spirit. I don't think he signs any of his other letters with that phrase. Yeah, and it might be because it's an individual. You know, he's talking to Philemon in particular. You know, There's, oh yeah, that you know, it's sense. not like a, the church as a whole. One uh, one of the things that I I was looking at, like just some kind of themes coming through throughout the letter, like. We you said grace earlier just now, but like we see grace mentioned a couple times, love, peace, this idea of hospitality, welcoming. Um, I think it does it conveys that warm that warmth, Clayton, that you said earlier. But also like this is, you would think in a letter like this um, that it it would be anything but you know something other than warm. You know what I mean? Also thinking too like of these letters were usually read aloud, right? So like. 
I think of like tone, like was like the tone of this letter, like heard and felt correctly, hopefully through the words that were used in it. I think that's why he went to such lengths to like use such warm and rich language to make sure that it was conveyed properly. But I think it's just a beautiful picture to me of, again, just relationship, whether you are in relationship with someone who is very similar to you, or you're in a relationship, you know, someone who is very different from you. It's, it's, it's all relationship characterized by grace and love and peace and hospitality. And that's what I think we're, we're supposed to show regardless of, you know, uh, how much we agree upon things or whatever. It's, it's, it should be universally felt no matter who it is. One of the things that um, in verse 14 that I see here, um, Paul says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that the, any favor you would do wouldn't seem forced but would be voluntary. Mm-hmm. I think this gets at part of the reasoning behind Paul's strategy here. Yeah. Now, again, he's put a lot of pressure, but he's also trying to say, what I want is a true change of how you see things. I want you to be willing to do what is right to do. Um, and that's not just because, um, you know, in general, you should be willing to do the right thing. Like, that's what the Bible's always trying to do. It's not just forcing you, but saying you, you're the kind of person who wants that. But it's also with this issue in particular. So... About a third of the Roman Empire were slaves, which means if if they were going to try to reform something, it would be a radical social upheaval. So this is not the sort of thing that they have the power to do, or or or, um, or kind of the, the social capital, you know, to to go on. Um, but within the church, if they really want to make a transformation of how people see each other, it's gonna it's not going to stick if what they do is just say here it, we're going to lay down the law. Here's how it's going to go. So Paul actually has to do this like injecting of some persuasion to get someone to kind of get pulled out of their perspective because Philemon probably doesn't think twice about, well, we got slaves. Lots of people have slaves. This is kind of a normal thing. You know, I'm kind of going along not doing anything that's abnormal. No one's judging me for this. So to to really do it, Paul has to kind of lay it on thick like he's a brother. He's he's someone who's valuable. He's someone who uh, means a lot to me. Like, you should see him the same way you see me. Like, all of these things are getting at that voluntary consent side of things so that, that f- when Philemon does it, it comes from a change that will ripple through the community in that respect. All right, let's move on to one of the M's in common. Let's talk about message. If we take uh, some of our observations here, uh, how would you sum up in a sentence or so a message from this passage? So I'm thinking of... Uh my role, like in, in like a, as a leader, this is what I'm, I'm thinking of in, when I read this. And my message is my influence as a leader is greater than the power or authority of my position. Hmm. Can you unpack that? Yes. So influence to me is, uh, it is the act of, of doing what Paul is doing here. It's building rapport, it's building a relationship and establishing trust with the people that you lead. And I think sometimes like Paul said, like, I could order you to do it. And so sometimes when people enter into a position of leadership, they immediately think, well, I have this position of authority now. I can kind of just tell people what I want them to do. Um, but it's not all, it's not always voluntary, right? If you're constantly telling people what to do and you're telling them how to act, uh, in all cases, they're not doing it out of their own mind, their own heart, right? Um, so as a leader, to me, I want to get to know the people that I lead, I want to get to know the things that excite them, slow them down, whatever the case is. 
And I want to build this mutual relationship of trust so that when the the easy things are really sweet and the harder things are made easier because I took the time to build the trust in the relationship with them. So I, when I need to make a hard call or I need to come to them with something hard, they know my motivation and they know where it comes from because I've taken the time to build that relationship. So my influence as a leader is greater than the power or authority of my position. It's easy to exert power and authority. It's not always easy to influence. That's really good. Um, this is this is a, a promo that Nikki did not ask for, but Nikki has another podcast. Oh, no. It's, it's the Coffee and Creative Leadership Podcast. Ooh, a little plug for Nikki's <laughs> and, and she, Spawncast. And, and she, she shares this thoughts like this all the time. It's another, it's another Spawncast. So it's good stuff. Oh. It's good stuff. When she gets on leadership, that's that's what she does. Yeah. So, Eric, it's, what about you? Uh, my my message is going to come from Galatians. What? Wait, wait, hang on a second. Okay. Cool. <laughs> In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, yeah. slave nor free. There is a uh, equalizing thing that happens with the cross of Jesus Christ, where uh, there there's no longer the in in the Christian life, it, it is no longer okay to power up on someone else because of gender or socioeconomic status or cultural background. That in Christ we are all brothers and sisters, level playing field. No one is better than anyone else. Uh, my message is: um, imagine what would happen if people of every social background were actually your family, or maybe it should be: imagine what you would do if people from every social background were actually part of your family, because in Christ they are. So that's, that's the shift that Philemon is being challenged to take. What if you viewed this, this uh, Onesimus as a brother? How would you treat your brother? Uh, and that, that's the time bomb that, set, that, that destroys the institution of slavery, that, that question right there. All right, let's talk about meditation. Uh, this is when we take 45 seconds to prayerfully uh, contemplate something that we have read here. And rather than pick one particular passage, um, I, I, what I want you to do is spend some time imagining the scene where this is read in, in the church to say, what would the reaction be? How would it feel to be Philemon? How would it feel to be Onesimus, who is there either reading it or hearing it read? How would it feel to be the people in the community that are saying, wow, this is, a, this is an intense situation? Um, imagine that scene and the emotions and the thoughts that might come to mind. I'll give you 45 seconds. It might take longer, but uh, you can spend that time pondering that. Let's talk about application. What do we do in light of this passage? Uh, so based on my, um, my applications, based on my message, so my influence as a leader is greater than my power or authority of my position. So my application, similar to what I'd said earlier, is just is really needing to prioritize building relationship, a mutual relationship and trust with the people that you lead. Uh, it takes a lot of time and intentionality. 
um, but it makes the work sweeter and the hard stuff a lot easier to lead through because people, uh, they know your character. They know what motivates you behind the, you know, what's behind the decisions that you make and the things that you say. Um, so it's easier to exert your position, to exert your position, but it's, it's harder to build influence. So work on that. I think for me, it's to constantly check my prejudice. I think, I think most of us want to say, well, I'm not a prejudiced person, but we prejudge all the time based on all, all kinds of factors. And so just to continually make sure that I am not drawing conclusions or approaching somebody or interacting with somebody in a way because of either their ethnic background or their gender or their socioeconomic status – but to just stay conscious of the fact that we are all one in Christ and allow that reality to inform how I interact with people more than perhaps my prejudice, which for most of us is somewhat subconscious. Yeah, I I think there's something similar here. Um, I think, uh, you know, if, if I'm imagining what would happen or what I would do if people from every background were actually family, like if I was treating them like a brother or sister or someone who was in my family, what would I do? Um, it makes you proactive with that. It makes you say, I'm not just going to sort of passively let someone either be overlooked or um, I'm going to root, I'm going to cheer them on and, and, and find ways for them to use the gifts that they have or empower them for those things. There's something proactive about saying, um, you know, if my, if I've got a, a family member who's been overlooked or mistreated, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, I'm going to say something about it. I'm going to be there for that. Uh, so there's, there's being proactive about that. Uh, a, lish, a little uh, kind of like uh, tag onto the story. This is something that's outside of the Bible that we actually know uh, from uh, kind of early church writings. There was a bishop uh, named Bishop Onesimus in the first generation after the New Testament. So this was a young man at the end of Paul's life, um, and he was welcomed into the church here. There is at least one person who shares his name within the next generation who is leading a church uh, not too far from Colossae, so, which, is, which is where this happened. So we don't know for sure if that is this Onesimus, but there's good reason to think that they're, they're connected. So it's an interesting little tidbit. That's really cool. All right. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along with us, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.